Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will visit us in a special way, that he would speak to our hearts through your word, that he would guard our minds, that he would stir our souls. I pray, Lord, as your word is preached, that you would change the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. I pray, Lord, that as we cling to the promise that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that you would, in a real way, be present, life-changing, empowering, encouraging, and even convicting if need be. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, you may think about it as uh, the message was potentially the first part of my message this week. And so this may be the second half of that message I've entitled the message this week, A Holy War. It's straight out of some resources that we're using this summer. Um, we once again have the joy of over the next several weeks, we'll, you'll see some different faces up here, some different perspectives. I just want to say that we are so fortunate as a church, uh, A, to have young men who want to preach, B, that we have the opportunity to allow them to preach, and and I think we're better as a congregation for that. Um, and so as, as, the, as the summer series, if you will, has laid out, you, you may think about the next three sermons, if you will, kind of be, being point one, point two, and point three of a longer sermon. One of the takeaways is that as a follower of Christ, I think that if we haven't, we will see or we will continue to see that our thoughts, our ideas, our way of life, our worldview are much different than other people. I don't know if you find yourself thinking like this during the week, but maybe there had been, or the weeks, or maybe even the past, maybe months, maybe this morning, have you ever just thought, it just feels like everything is a battle, or nothing seems to go like it, it should. And for a long time, I just kind of discounted that and thought maybe, I, maybe it was me. But as I began several months ago to think through this, and as we been, began working through the epistle to the Ephesians, I'm coming to understand that life is more of a battle than anything else. We are in a holy war. Now, for the sake of clarifying, I'm not speaking of some other form of religious ideology and a holy jihad, if you will. That's not the, the, the point at all, but those two words, holy and war, are very specific. First of all, what's at stake is the, the holy things of life because we worship Christ, because we have a relationship with God the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit that's holy, set apart. So the things that are set apart are in conflict, and we are at war. Who are we at war with? And over the next several weeks, we'll find that out. But let me just say that we're at war with our own flesh. We're at war with Satan. We're at war with this world. As a form of a couple of introductory comments, I think there are two extremes when you start speaking of spiritual warfare. 
The very first extreme is basically saying or do, giving very little credence to the, any idea of the spiritual realm or the things of a spiritual nature. So in essence, what I'm saying is the world would say that what I'm about to talk about this morning or preach about this morning is just nonsense. It makes no log- logical sense, and it's, we're just kind of a bunch of kooks gathered here on this Sunday morning when the real world goes on and we're just silly. The second view is this oversense of spirituality, and what I mean by that is that everything that happens there's a demon, if you will, behind every bush. And I don't, or under every bush, or under every rock. I, I don't think either one of those perspectives are helpful. But there is a biblical perspective, and I would encourage us to always think through the lens of Scripture that the Bible suggests that there's a biblical view and that spiritual warfare has existed from the beginning. And even before, you may think, and as I was prone to think, we may think that spiritual warfare kind of started in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall with Adam and Eve and the serpent or the dragon or Satan as we know him. That's not, if you, if you will, there was a battle beginning with the fall of Satan from heaven. So we have this battle starting where, where one of God's created being didn't like the fact that he was under the authority of God, and so he... And the Bible tells us, I think, a third of the heavenly hosts fell. So from that very beginning, down through the ages, right up through the crucifixion, on into the New Testament church, even into this room at this moment is my premise that if if I was giving you a thesis, I would say that spiritual warfare has existed. It is existing in its present here in your life. And one of the goals of this sermon is for all of us to wake up and realize we're in a holy war. Dr. Joe Beakey, a guy who I like, and I look at a lot of his references and commentary, commentary, you say it, commentaries. I'll get that one back in a few minutes, but commentaries. He, He talks about this holy war, and he says that it's a fierce battle, it's a spiritual battle, and it's a necessary battle. I'm just going to co-op, or maybe better way to say it, I'm going to plagiarize his thoughts and lay that over what I'm about to talk to you this morning. First, it's a fierce battle. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from the, from the 1900s, um, mid to late 1900s, says that the division of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is really divided into two parts. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says... There's first a general explanation of what's going on. And then he says, second of all, there are specific instructions to the warfare. I've had David read the, uh, what I would consider a companion text from 1 Peter speaking, and, and it's kind of a very succinct way of stating that we're in a warfare. But if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn once again to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at these two parts. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Dr. Lloyd-Jones says that this is the general explanation. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, why? when we see that word, we have to ask, why is it therefore? Because we're in this battle. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. As for your shoes or for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As you can see, the general explanation, we're in a warfare, the specific instructions to arm ourselves with the holy armor of God. What Paul is making a point of is saying that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. He's mentioning this fierce battle, this holy war. 1 Peter 5, 8, that was read, says, Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, there he is, prowls around like a roaring lion. What is he trying to do? Seeking someone to devour. Brothers and sisters, Please understand this morning that Satan has one plan and one plan only for you, and that's to devour you. That's not exaggeratory language. I'm not preaching for effect. I'm getting that straight from the inspired, inerrant word of God. First Peter says, Satan wants to devour you. Again, Dr. Beakey says this. He says, and I quote, life and death are at stake. I told the guys yesterday morning we were meeting, and I said, I wonder if we believe that. I wonder, I'm wondering if we would just stop long enough and carefully examine our lives, do we really believe that life and death are at stake? Do we really believe that the things that are happening in our life may not be just a string of unfortunate events? They may not be just a bunch of series of bad luck we may not be at the mercy of whoever in our life, but maybe, just maybe, the Word of God is accurate and we're in a fierce battle. Yes. 
maybe, just maybe, life and death are at stake. I don't know if you ever had, but there's a colloquial saying on the playground that says, we play for keeps. Hey, folks, listen to me. I say this a lot because I feel like it, but let me just say this. I'm as convinced about what I'm saying at this moment, at this time, in this pulpit as I've ever been. There's forces that are playing for keeps, and you better wake up. Life and death are at stake. The goal of this message is really to be an introductory message to give an alert, a wake-up call, an alarm. Peter, Jesus looked at Peter right before he went to the cross, and he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. I'm going to pray for you. And I would say to some of us this morning, we can't just treat this casually. One commentator says this, how we think of this battle is critical because it determines how we fight it. I would add to his comments, it would determine if we fight. Before I go any further, I want to give you some hope. James 4, 7, listen to James. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and let me give you this word, he will flee from you. That's a tremendous verse with a tremendous promise, and it has tremendous hope. When we walk out of here this morning, I have one goal, and that's that we know we're victorious, that we, our heads are high and our hearts are encouraged because we aren't powerless and we aren't hopeless, but we understand the battle is fierce. Second, we engage in a spiritual battle. This is not a call to arms, not asking anybody to pick up weapons, not asking that we fight people. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against people. People may be a sense of conflict with us. But in, rather, in other words, what we're fighting for, the battle is for truth and righteousness and the glory of God and Jesus. It may be important to understand in this letter that the people writing to the, the city of Ephesus was full of evil, magicians and sorcerers and char charlatans. It was home of the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the temple of Artemis, or the, the Romans called it the temple of Diana. It's pagans' practices I would not mention in this room because of young children. The evil was as disgustable as anything, but I'm afraid it may represent our day and age now. So what Paul is pointing out is you all are messing with an evil realm you don't know anything about. And I would say to young people here today, be careful of the evil realm you're messing with. There's all kinds of stuff out there that would encourage you to get sucked in. Don't play around with this. It may be bigger than you ever anticipate. Satan is real. I was, this is off the note, but did you guys see that there was a big study that the government was supposed to re release on UFOs? And they did it and they changed the name and basically said, yeah, there's stuff out there that we don't know what it is. And I've had people ask me, do you believe in aliens or do you believe in this? Or, hey, listen, 
I believe there's a whole world out there that I know nothing about. I believe, and, and I've got this, but 2 Kings, we were talking about this. Elisha was, was on the battlefield and, and he prayed that God would open up the eyes and, and when they saw it, I just think if even right now, if our eyes, our spiritual eyes would be opened up, we would, we would the reason they're not is because we would cringe. We, I think we'd all pass out. I just think we'd maybe all die of shock. It's a spiritual battle. So a spiritual battle, here's the next point, requires spiritual resources. That's what we're going to get into. It's also a necessary battle. It's a fierce battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a necessary battle. We may not like to hear this, but the battle against Satan is necessary. The truth of it is that we're in this holy war. I'm not up here to be Donnie Downer or Negative Ned, but I'm up here to tell us that I'm starting to learn. I don't know. Maybe it's my life. I don't know. But I'm convinced that the Christian life is more of a war than a vacation. I think somewhere along the lines, I bought a bill of goods that wasn't true. And you've heard me say this a lot over the course of several messages, but I think I'm, I'm back to the truth rather than getting away from the truth. There was this idea that if you just come and ask Jesus into your life, everything was going to be okay. Can Jesus straighten up marriages? Yes. Can Jesus turn people with substance abuse back into whole, healthy living? Yes. Can, can Jesus solve your financial troubles? Yes. I mean, obviously, if we surrender our finances to Jesus, yes, if Christ is the Lord of everything. But let me just tell you something. Following Jesus is not easy. And the truth is, it's hard. And furthermore, it's a battle. And it doesn't get easier. I'm sorry to tell you that. Now, what I'm learning is I've never been in a war, but I've watched MASH on TV. And I've seen, and Mike, I have seen some old John Wayne movies. And I see that they, when they're in the war, that they, the boys get called home from the front and they go back for a little R&R. And as I was thinking about this message this week, I thought God's grace and goodness is so wonderful that occasionally we have seasons in our life where God allows us to pull back from the front lines and it's the little R&R for us spiritually. Things start going right, life is happy, we get married, we have kids. I mean, there's a big wow moment and, and that's true. I've said, does it ever seem like when things are going right then something bad happens? No, here's what, let me just, I'm trying to change my thinking. God's grace, if we get anything good in this life, it's because of God's grace and blessing, amen? Anything. But, but once that happens, we, I think we're ushered back to the front lines for us to never forget this is a war. And it's a holy war. And it's a necessary battle. You know, God's doing something in our life. One of the things that I think he's doing is, is in 1 Peter 2, reminding us that this is not our home. Hey, don't get too comfortable in your nice home. Don't get too comfortable with your new car. Don't get too comfortable with your job. Don't even get too comfortable in this church because this is not our home. We're on the way to a celestial city. These are just stopping off points. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Amen? 
you, you guys on your way to heaven? I mean, onward, Christian soldiers. I mean, we're marching to Zion, amen? Just a little bit over the mountaintop, I've got a mansion, right? Amen? That's what's going on. Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. They're going to, moth's going to eat them and rust. Kim, we, we, we have a moth problem in our house. If anybody knows how to solve that, mothballs don't work. Don't tell us that. We've, we've got a million mothballs. She'll come out and she'll say, look, there's a, little, there's a little hole in my shirt. I think she's going in there and poking it with a little, like, ice pick so she can go get a new shirt. That's what I think. But, but anyway, that's not even part of this sermon. But, but, there's, but moths are going to eat stuff up and rust is going to destroy things and things are going to break, Right? Cars are going to wear out. Bodies are going to decay. You're going to need a surgery here and there. But we're not, this is not permanent. That's the point. Puritan Thomas Brooks said, Christ, the scriptures, your own heart, and Satan are the four things that you should be studying the most and search the most. Why? Because we're in a war. I think it sees Ephesians 6 is really a climax. Let me just tell you how I read the, the section that we're in. We're, 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 here's what's going on, I believe, in Ephesians 6. Paul begins writing. He says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You were dead, and, and, and God, by his grace through faith, gave you the faith to believe in Jesus. And when you believed in Jesus, you get all these resources, and there's riches in Christ, and you have this great inheritance. And then, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for you, you need to start acting like you are a part of a, of a different life you got a new name written down in glory. You're his. And because of the gospel, you need to live worthy of this manner. You can't get angry at the things you once got angry of. You can't, your marriage needs to change and the way you work needs to change and the way you parent children and children obey your parents and all this stuff. I think he's telling us that you, you, because of that sanctification, you have been justified, saved, and now you're saved and God's growing you. And then you're going to find out there's all these relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he comes to, to the sixth chapter, the 10th verse, and he says, finally, this is what I've been waiting to tell you guys. You're in a battle. You're in a war. It's going to get tough. Finally, it's going to get real hard. Paul says, by the way, you don't want to do this on your own. He even says it a little more emphatically. He says, you can't do it on your own. But what you do have is a loving father and a precious savior and a gracious Holy Spirit who give you everything that you need. There's a war going on, but let me tell you what's at your disposal. If you'll follow with me, I'll try to help us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his might or the strength of his might. First, recognize that you're weak. I don't care how much of a stud you are and how great you are and how smart you are, how beautiful you are and how rich you are, you're still weak compared to what's gonna come at you. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. John 5, 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit. And notice these last words in John 15, 5 says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The phrase here, be strong in the Lord and the might of his strength, is literally be strengthened and made powerful by the Lord. Hey, 
It's the Lord giving you strength. How does he do it? I mentioned it last week. If you don't have this little verse tucked in your heart somewhere, I'm hoping after a couple of messages, you'll start, maybe the Holy Spirit will start uncovering this little verse, Galatians 2.20. How do I do it? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So be strong in the Lord. Hey, stop trusting yourselves. Lean not to your own understanding. Next, he says, put on the whole armor of God. By the way, it's both. You gotta be strong in the Lord, you gotta put on the whole armor of God. I believe if you're struggling more than normal, let me just tell you, you're walking out of the house nude. You're spiritually naked every time you leave the house. Or you're absent-minded and you forgot your sword. Or you forgot to put, pick up your breastplate. Or you left your shoes at the doorstep. We're going to be talking about those resources over the next several weeks. But folks, I'm kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek there. But you can't go to battle without the armor. You can't do it. And some of you are doing what I call white-knuckling it. You're just trying to get better and hang on by, the, by whatever until you, until you get to the other side, like riding a roller coaster. It, the spiritual life doesn't work that way. I, this is the last time you're going to hear me preach for a day or two. I'm not trying to draw my attention to myself, but, but I understand this a little bit. When... when because of my involvement in the sheriff's department, I have been trained to some degree with this equipment that we have. And I'm, I'm a little more comfortable if I engage someone because I understand the resources I have now typically on my chest. I have a, I have a vest that can stop most, most, not all, armor rounds. I have a weapon that I could use. I have a radio to call for help. I have other things at my disposal, but there's almost no way that you would ever go on a call of an intense nature without some of those or multiple or even more of those things. Brothers and sisters, put on the whole armor of God. Stand firm is the next thing. Something we have to do. This battle is not passive. It's about resistance. It's about standing. It's like being an oak tree. When the winds come and the forces try to knock us over, if we're strong in the Lord and we've clothed ourselves right and we don't let up, we don't give up, we just follow the straight and narrow. It'll require some hand-to-hand -hand combat at times. I was thinking about this. I have trouble pronouncing the word, as many words as you obviously know, but the, uh, Jay and Emily's neighbor is, the, uh, is an instructor at the Law Enforcement Academy. They're now teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is close hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
And so our last training on defensive tactics was, was to do that. And so you take, like, Jake could, Jake could polarize me or Chad or any, Sean. I mean, you, but, but I got a couple of bags, a couple of tricks in my bag just because I've been, they've, they've trained us a couple of times. I can probably last a minute or two. Now, you might think that's stupid. But the only thing I got to do is, is, is I got to stand long enough. If, if, if Chad and I are into it, Chad's a big guy, right? I mean, he works hard and he's got titanium muscles. But, but if, if I'm engaged with him, then here's the point. And please don't miss it. Don't, don't miss it. I only need to last a couple of minutes with Chad. Because in a couple of minutes, for me, there's probably going to be some backup. There's going to be another opportunity to open up or I can find another way. I'm, this, is what they're, this is what you teach you. And then when I was going through this section, I got the idea of standing firm as, as you're wrestling with this. With the point I'm trying to make is sometimes all we need to do is hang on. Does that make any sense to anybody? Jesus has won the victory. But you got to stay in the fight. As we were rolling around the mats the last couple of times of training, I mean, we had some instructors. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted, but there's, there's guys in your ears screaming, stay in the fight. Don't give up. The moment you give up, he's going to be on top of you, and you may not go home. I'm making a point here because I think it's applicable. Some of you, if you understand you're in a battle, don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. Brother Steve's watching via Zoom. I understand the Battle of Gettysburg, and Brother Steve, if I'm wrong, correct me later. But, but Chamberlain the 20th Maine Regiment at Little Round Top, had you, he was surrounded by Confederate soldiers, I'm told. And the story goes like this. He said to his men, we must be stubborn today. If we lose this battle, we'll lose the war. Stand up and fight, don't run. Some of you are in a battle, and I know it. Some of you have been in a battle for a long time, and I know it. Kim and I have had our own battles and struggles. Some of you need to hear those words. Don't give up. Stand firm. At the conclusion of this message, there's a risk I run by, by making you discouraged or feeling heavy-hearted. I don't want to do that, so I'm wrapping up. First, I want to speak to you that are followers of Christ. Jesus has won the victory. It's already over. So think of the greatest action movie you've ever watched, and you, you've, you've seen it before. You know the good guy's going to win. Now, that analogy breaks down, and I don't like it too much, because, but the but, but point is, the movie has already been, it's over. The last chapter 
has been written. So in the Christian life, there's this already but not yet. We, we've already won the victory. We're just not there yet physically. This morning, I want to point you to Calvary, to the old rugged cross. It was there that Jesus overthrew Satan in the final battle. It was there Jesus won the victory for paying for your sin. The sin that you that he wants to remind you of has been paid for. It was there you were bought back from Satan's grip. The, the, the thing that Satan wants to do to say, you're in his grips. No, I'm not in your grip. Jesus destroyed the grip, dude. Get behind me. It's there your new life. It was on the cross that Jesus said to the world, no one has claim over you other than his father. I want to draw your attention to an empty tomb where the son's sacrifice was validated. I want to, to bring to your attention that the sufficiency of his sacrifice and that empty tomb in a resurrected Christ points to a victory over Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. Victory's already been won. So when the battle intensifies, remember Jesus won the victory. When the war heats up, remember he defeated Satan. He stood up to him. When you feel like you can't take it anymore, stand firm. He won't leave you. When the storms are raging in your life, remember it's him who said, peace be still, and even the winds and the waves obeyed him. When all other people forsake you, you turn to the one who said to the thief on his side, I will remember you in paradise. That's the Jesus that you turn to. The victory is won. And finally, there's some of you potentially in this room, there's a battle you're never going to win. And you're losing. And life and death are at stake. And you've never turned yourself over to the Lordship of Christ. You've never committed your life to Christ. Let me say this. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough right things. Coming to church does not save you. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for people to hear the word of God. It's a good thing for people who love Jesus to come. But coming in this building does not save you. Reading your Bible will not save you. There's a war going on in your soul. And the only way for you to win that is by placing your faith, bowing your heart, surrendering your life, giving total control over to the gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, believing on his death, believing on his resurrection, and naming him Lord of your life. If you do not know you've done that, this is the day of salvation. And for the rest of us, we're going to sing victory in Jesus. And if you're, if you're not encouraged, there's a battle out there, but don't you dare let Satan get you down. Don't you let him discourage you for too long. Stand firm. He's there with you. Father, I pray that... Um, You would encourage us through your word. Lord, I, 
I don't know how to say this other than I know there's two people in this room. There are people who, who need to surrender their life to you. They've just messed around way too long. They need to say, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus. I believe that you saved me. I believe I can't save myself. And I'm going to trust you by grace through faith. And Father, there's others in this room. I'm one of those. The battle intensifies. It heats up. I get discouraged. It's frustrated. I'm, I'm down. I'm, I, I just need to remember, Lord, that I, I need to trust in you. And I need to stand firm. I need to be strong in you. So, Lord, encourage us. I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us up and that we will be strengthen to do what you've called us to do. Father, I, I pray for the person in this room that needs it the most. Somehow, some way, before they walk out of this room, encourage them and keep encouraging them. And Father, may we remember your words as you said to your disciples, I am with you. Lo, I am with you, even to the end of this age. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's to that we cling and trust. It's in your name I pray.